And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. I'm going to preach to you something that sounds a little strange this morning. But you'll get it by the time I finish. My message to you today is that there is no time for limping. No time for limping. Would you put your Bibles down? you lift your hands to the Lord? Master God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you right now to let your spirit move in this place. Touch your servant, God. Let my lips, God, be preserved for your use today. I pray, God, that every word that's spoken would be as an arrow to its target. God, that you would pull down every stronghold, that you would remove every obstacle, and that you would let your will be done in this place. I pray for a spirit of conviction to rest upon this place today, that you would draw the souls of men to repentance, and God, that we would leave here transformed by your presence and your word In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Clap your hands to the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Shaw, for that good word this morning. Oh, I think there's a blueprint for revival. Good news is I think this church has started reading it and getting a hold of it. Amen. No time for limping during this era of Israel's history, God used three prophets to speak specifically to the people and their kings. Their names were Elijah and Elisha and Micaiah. God used all three of these men in unique ways. All three of them were unexpected, uninvited, and uncredentialed. But all three of them had a divine anointing and a boldness on their lives that God had placed there. 
And Elijah comes along and he shows the reality of abundance in a world that's governed by scarcity. I read to you a prophecy just the other evening that said that God's getting ready to move us from small to an enlarged space. Listen, I don't care what's going on in the economy right now. It doesn't make any difference. David said, I was young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Listen, I want the Pentecostal Church of Anderson to hear me right now. God's getting ready to bless you like you've never been blessed before. You got to understand, while it may look scarce around you, God is a God of abundance and He's about to do. That took place when He was sustained at the brook Cherith by the ravens. The rest of the world was in famine. But the prophet of God was dipping his toe in the brook and the ravens were bringing him breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Oh, you say, that's just a story. Don't tell me it's just a story. I'm telling you that no matter what's going on in the world, God's going to take care of those that have focused on him and put his kingdom first you got to make up your mind which camp you want to be in. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to limp into heaven. You're not going to limp into revival. Come on. Paul said, we all run a race. You don't run a race to win with a limp. You run a race with two good legs and a good heart and good lungs. Can somebody please hear me right now? God's about to usher us into a move of God like the church has never seen. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to restore us. He's going to supply to us everything that we need to see Him move. And if He has to feed us by the ravens, He'll feed us by the ravens. Whatever He needs to do, He'll do it. I wish somebody believed that with me. I I got a little bit on this side and a little bit here, but this side I don't have any help over here. I said God is going to bless you. God is going to sustain you. God is going to keep you. Now, This is a really cool story, and I'm not going to get hung up here. But the brook dried up. I said the brook dried up. But watch what happened. His calling never dried up, Brother Shaw. His anointing never dried up. You know what God did? He just changed the direction of his calling. He sends him, Brother Jordan, to Zarephath. Because there's a widow that needs a prophet and a prophet that needs a widow. Ah, I wish you'd tell somebody close to you, I need you and you need me. 
God had a plan. Amen. But Jim, God knew that that little widow woman was about to run out of grain and about to run out of oil. And he knew if he'd send a prophet and she'd take care of the man of God, that he'd take care of the man of God and he'd take care of the widow and her son. Ah, uh, you're not going to help me. You see, some of you got it way too comfortable. You don't have enough need right now for God to be able to help you. I said you don't have enough need for God to be able to help you. But when you get in that place, then you understand you can't make it without God. Uh, you, uh, you can't be blessed without God. You can't prosper without God. You can't be well without God. And if you're here, some of you feel like your river's dried up. It's not dried up. God's just changing your path. Get ready. He's about to use you in another avenue in vain somewhere else. Once he moves to Zarephath, an empty barrel of meal, cruise of oil, was not a match for God's sustaining hand. But it is especially true when we see God giving him power over death of the widow's son. While we may want to look at Elijah as a bold man of God who was unfeeling and uncaring about the overall plight of the nation. It's not really the case. Elijah demonstrates great pastoral care when he helps the widow in 1 Kings chapter 17. But all of that would drastically change. When he goes from comfort to confrontation. I like what you said, Brother Shaw. We got to be on the defense, but we got to keep working. Nehemiah was building the wall, and the people had a weapon in one hand and a trap. Anybody hear me right now? Yes, I turned off the mic. You got to get a weapon in one hand and a trowel in the other. Come on. You can't quit working and you can't quit fighting. Come on, somebody. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Come on. We got to keep praying. We got to keep singing. We got to keep worshiping. We got to keep loving. We got to keep reaching. Come on. We got to confront the devil. We can't let the devil just constantly just push us back and push us around. It's time for somebody to bow up and say, Devil, I'm not moving another inch. I'm not backing up another day. Come on, it's on. I said it's on. We're going to fight and we're going to work. 
praise him right now. How long the halting? How long the limping? You know, when somebody limps, you another term for that is halting. And there's a lot of folks in the church today that are halting or they're limping, just getting by. And it's not the will of God. And, and if you walk with a limp, I'm not being critical of you today. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about spiritually today. It's kind of funny. I, I was getting ready to walk out of my office today. And a pastor friend of mine that I preached for down in Missouri, he sent me a message. And he said, he was talking about Paul and Paul having a, a, a thorn in his flesh. And he said, he was saying that unless you have a limp, you haven't really done anything. I said, well, that's kind of strange because I'm preaching today. <laughs> it's no time for limping. At least we're on the same idea about limping. The madness of Ahab is when he looks to Elijah, that godly preacher, and asks him, if he is the one troubling Israel. Ahab had allowed his spiritual discernment to be totally wiped away because of the influence of his wife and the weakness of his own flesh. And so he comes to Elijah knowing full well that Elijah's the man of God, the prophet of God. He already knows that. But he asked Elijah, are you the one that troubles Israel? Are you the one that troubles the people? Knowing full well that the man of God was not the troublemaker, but he was the solution finder. Come on. I want everybody to understand the preacher is not your enemy. I said the preacher is not your enemy. The word of God is not your enemy. The preacher will help you be saved. The word of God will save you. And so, in verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people. And he said, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? There's, there's a lot of how longs in the Bible. I, 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 won't, I won't go through all of them, but Exodus 10 and 3 says, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? 16 and 28 said, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? Numbers 14 and 27, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? Joshua 18 and 3, how long are you slack to go possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? 1 Samuel 16 and 1, how long wilt thou mourn Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? I'm done with him. I've got a man with a calling and an anointing on his life. Come on. Psalmist said, four and two, how long will you turn my glory into shame? 
How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? 62 and 3, how long will you imagine mischief against a man? Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? You, you get it. There's a lot of how longs. God had a lot of questions with humanity. Is how long? I'm glad he's a long-suffering God. I'm glad that he's a merciful God. But I, I believe that God's looking at the 21st century church and saying to us, how long are you going to live below your privileges? How long are you going to miss my call? How long are you going to miss my outpour? Come on, somebody. How long are you going to miss the move of God that I want to give this church? How long before you submit yourself to me and let me do for you what only I can do? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Watch what Jesus does there. I don't want to get stuck here, but watch what he does. He said, look, if you're not going to do this, I will. Now, I know this is not popular, but I, I'm just... I'm just putting this out there I want you to understand that if we don't do it it's still going to be done if we don't have it it's still going to be had I don't know about you but I'm not going to walk through this thing with a limp I've made up my mind I'm putting everything I've got into it I'm going to see the greatest move of God that the church has ever seen Come on, I want to be a part of a people that have unified themselves and made up their mind. We're not walking with a limp. we got it all together. We're going to run just as fast as we can run. We're going to go just as hard as we can go until Jesus comes. How long? It's a good question to ask. But it's especially good when the cry of how long comes from a man of God that God has sent us. A.W. Tozer said, the world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God. Not an echo of what others are doing and saying, but an authentic voice. I, I, I want you to listen to me. I know... You're going to think I'm a little slanted right here. And that's okay. I've been called worse. But I'm going to tell you something. We have a pastor. Listen to me right here. I know he's my son. But he's my pastor. And I want you to hear me right now. When he walks out of that office and walks onto this platform... And stands behind this sacred desk. He is an authentic voice from God. It's not that any other man of God is not an authentic voice. But I'm telling you that God has given us a man of God that hears from God. And is not afraid to declare the unadulterated. Come 
all, we got a pastor that's not going to let us limp into heaven. He's not going to let us limp into revival, but he's a man of God that will stand flat-footed and declare the word of the Lord. Come on, why don't you thank God for your pastor? You'll be seated. Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods but through men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer, unquote. We need men and women of prayer in this last day. We're not going to saunter through life and see a move of God like God wants us to have. How desperately God needs men in this day to stand up and cry out, How long? How long? First Pentecostal Church, how long? It's time for us to understand who we are and what we are. The writer in Romans 1 and 16 said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and to the Greek. We don't need to be ashamed of the word of God. It will save the souls of men. It will save the drug addict. It will save the alcoholic. It will save the demon-possessed. Come on, somebody. It will set the captive free. The Word of God is enough. I said the Word of God is enough. How long will we halt? Let's turn the Word of God loose in our lives and let God use it to produce the move of His Spirit. How long? Elijah rose up in his day. Paul rose up in his day. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We as preachers have to rise up in our day. You as saints of God have to rise up in our day. If the American church ever needed to be called away from the entertainment orientation of our time. This is it. This is it. Churches that have strong biblical teaching are gaining spiritual strength. Are those who are willing to respond to the boldness of a preacher or a prophet who cries, How long? Perhaps I'm a little old-fashioned to believe that, but I believe the churches can grow if they'll focus on prayer, 
on preaching and outreach. Perhaps even a little in reach. Do, do you know what? Do you know what? There are people over there on that side of the church that don't know who you are. I'm serious. Oh, boy, I see some folks wiggling in their seats right now. Man, we come to church, and we're part of the church, and as soon as the last amen said, we throw that coat on, and we're headed to the car. Oh, and there's somebody across the church that's waiting for us to come over there and lay our hands on them and impart spiritual impartation. To... Now, wait a minute. I'm talking about in reach. Listen. We're the body of Christ. If I cut my finger and it don't look like it's going to get well, I'm not going to cut it off. I'm going to find somebody that's going something that's going to make it better. Come on, are you hearing me right now? I'm telling you. Hey, y'all need to get to know those folks over there. Hey, y'all need to get to know these folks over here. What do you, what do you say, preacher? I'm not being stupid. I'm not being silly. As we progress this church is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger but as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger we need to get better and better at being kind to one another considerate of one another ministering to one another I don't have time preacher I got to you do have time you can't, we can't limp through this. We got to get through this together. And I need you. And you need me. Come on, somebody. We need to help one another. Somebody give it praise right now. The Lord doesn't need professionals. As much as he needs prayers. The Lord doesn't need professionals nearly as much as he needs preachers. Who will get up and preach the word and then let the seed fall where it will. Come on. Somebody say limping along. Uh, This is is where I got this. This is where I'm getting to the gist of what I'm trying to tell you today. 1 Kings 18 and 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Now watch this. Here's some other translations. How long go ye limping between the two sides? How long are you going to limp into two diverse opinions? Moffat said, How long will you hobble on this faith and that? New American Bible said, how long will you straddle the issue? Let me just stop right there and tell you. You are not going to make it to heaven with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I know it's not popular, but I'm telling you, that you're not going to make it straddling the fence. you got to make up your mind. 
That old prophet said, listen, you got to make up your mind. You're going to love God and live for God and do what God calls you to do. Or you're going to live in the world and be what the world has to offer. You got to make up your mind. I'm not going to make up your mind for you. You got to make up your mind. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve Baal? Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help you. You got to quit limping alone. You got to put both feet on the foundation of the Word of God and make up your mind. I stand for Jesus. Let the world go by. My feet's planted in this apostolic way. Watch. Berkeley said, how long will you lean to both sides? First of all, that doesn't even make sense. You can't lean to both sides. You're either going to lean one way or the other. <laughs> I know that sounds simple, but I'm just a simple guy. Knox said, will you never cease to waver between two loyalties? The NIV said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Hey, hey look, I know I may be a little slanted right here, but I want you to understand something. Nothing else is going to work but repentance, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That's not my words. That's the Word of God. The Word of God said, except a man be born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Hey, Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, said, Ye must be born again. I don't care how you were born in the natural. You must be born again. And you got to repent. Come on. The message is death, burial, and resurrection. You got to die out to your flesh when you repent of your sins. You got to be buried in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ to wash away those sins. And you got to have something to put in that empty space. So he gives you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Nothing else works. Nobody can pray a prayer, a sinner's prayer over you and save you. There's not a man in this world that can save you. Do you hear me? It has to be supernatural. Come on. It's, it's why he didn't just let it be a prayer. It's why some folks are uncomfortable about the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That sounds too hard. It's not too hard. It's supernatural. I wish somebody that had the Holy Ghost would just shout hallelujah right now. It's why he said you got to repent. you got to be baptized. But then he said after you're done doing your part, I'm going to show you. I'm going to put my stamp of approval on it. And I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. 
and you can't be saved without it. Come on, I'm not leaning one side or the other. I'm standing smack dab in the middle and telling you, you must be born again of water and the Spirit. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to get through this. Limping. Limping. Halting. It's where the devil works best. He'll do everything within his power to get us individually and as a church to live between two worlds. Just enough of the church to give us a little peace and just enough of the world so we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Limping. Limping. Limping means to engage in a cultic dance in the celebration of Baal while still performing devotion to Jehovah. When we look at human nature overall, we have to frankly admit that not a whole lot has changed over the last several thousand years. Another word for halting is tottering. It has the picture of a man who is intoxicated, drunk, tipsy, befuddled, stoned, plastered under the influence of alcohol. Remember the words of the Lord to his disciples. He told them at the end of the Olivet Discourse, when he was describing the events of the end time, listen to what he said, don't be overtaken with drunkenness and surfeiting. You know what he was saying? At the end, don't be caught tottering. You don't have to drink whiskey to get drunk. You can get drunk on your ego. You can get drunk on your pride. Ah, you're not going to help me. You can get drunk on your occupation. Come on, somebody. You can get drunk on life. Jesus said in the last days, don't you be caught tottering. I want you to be wide awake and well ready that when the trumpet sounds, there won't be anything that keeps you from coming with me. Tottering. Among the more visible cases of indecision is the example of so-called German Christians who turned a blind eye to the destruction of the Jews. Hitler's fear had spread among the people to such a degree that they were unwilling to put their life on the line to even help the Jews who were condemned. Hear me. Listen to me closely, church. Tune in right here. 
they were church people who thought they could live faithfully without choosing between the dominant theology of the National Socialism and the cause of Jesus Christ. This is a prophetic word right here. Listen to your bishop. The sides are lining up. The line has been drawn. You see this little seam right here? You got to make up your mind. You can't keep the seam in the middle. You got to make up your mind which side you're going to be in. Let, 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 let me make it a little stronger than that. You got to make up your mind whether you're going to be saved or you're going to be lost. You got to make up your mind whether you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. There aren't any options. There aren't any ways out. There's not a plan B. Come on. Jesus said, you got to do it my way or it's not going to work. I said, oh, you, you Pentecostals are so dogmatic. You just think it can only be one way. It's not us. I said, it's not us. We're, we're not Pentecostal in denomination. We're Pentecostal in experience because we read it in the book and we had faith to believe that he'd do just what he said he would do. And there's a couple hundred folks in here and thousands all over the world, millions all over the world that did the same thing and today they've repented, they've been baptized in Jesus' name, been filled with the Holy Ghost. Look, you come too late to tell me that it was just for the apostles. I've been in this 50 years and I spoke in tongues when I got it then and I speak in tongues when I got it now. Here's the problem. You can be seated. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. They were trying to live in a world of both and. Both and. Instead of a clear-cut world of either or. Listen, I, 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 I can't help what Grandma did. I can't help what Grandpa did. I can't help what auntie and uncle did. But you can't help what you do. Well, that's, that's a little harsh. No, it's not harsh. The Lord has given you a space of repentance here. He's given you opportunity to say, you know what, I choose. I'm not limping. I'm not tottering. I made up my mind. I'm going to do it the Bible way. I'm going to be saved according to the Word of God. I'm going to live according to the Word of God. I'm not going to limp into heaven. I'm not going to hope I make it. I'm not going to wonder if I make it. Listen, when I take my last breath, Brother Kevin, I know I'm going to make it because I've done everything I need to do to get there. Come on, somebody. I'm not on one foot or the other foot. I got my feet planted, and I'm sure. The whole matter 
of this segment in Elijah's life is really about the endless lukewarmness of the church in the face of real issues. What does, what does lukewarmness look like? It takes both faith and materialism. It takes both faith and worldliness. It takes both faith and low spiritual desire. It takes both faith and biblical illiteracy. Oh, we got quiet up in here. It takes both faith and low church attendance. It takes both faith and spiritual shallowness. That's what lukewarmness looks like. G.K. Chesterton said this, Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. Well, you know, preacher, I, I, I really don't think all of that is necessary. I, I think that there's some things that we ought to just overlook. You know what that is? It's a lack of conviction. Oh, I know. I've done lost it right here. But I want you to hear me. I see an army. An army of God. There are no cripples in it. There are no limpers in it. But it's a mighty army. Full of faith. Full of conviction. Full of power. It's an army that's determined... She's not going to be pushed back. Not going to be pushed one side or the other. But she's made up her mind. I'm marching. I'm moving. I'm moving forward. I'm not quitting. The church is not backing up. The church is not compromising. The, the church is not going to be tolerant of sin. No time for limping. Hear me. Word of caution. Word of caution. You can count on three things about erosion. And especially spiritual erosion. It's always slow. It's always silent. And it's always subtle. It's always slow. It's always silent and it's always subtle. Brother Mark Luber, that gray hair you got and this gray hair I got tells a story. But we know about this church and we know that there have been times that this church could have folded, that it could have given in and given up and even moved aside. But this church, I'm talking about the people in this church, those of you that are here, some of you that have been sitting on these seats, not these seats, but in this church for well over 50 years, you know this church is not limping into eternity. But there have been men of God 
that God has placed in this pulpit and in leadership in this church that have said, I don't care what the rest of the movement is doing. I don't care what the latest fad is. We're not even going to move toward it slowly. We're staying right where we are. Oh, God, help me right now. And I'm telling you that because of that stance, God is about to send a mighty move of His Spirit and a harvest like you've never seen. But we need somebody with a weapon in one hand and a trowel in the other. We've got to build this together. Let me finish. It's getting close to lunchtime. Chuck Swindoll, famous Christian writer, in his book, The Church Awakening, An Urgent Call for Renewal, related the following story, and I quote, A close friend recently visited a local church that stemmed from a denomination with deep, century-old roots in conservative theology. Those who originated the denomination loved the Scriptures, proclaimed the Word of God, and aligned their lives with its truths. In fact, their peers laughed at them for being so narrow-minded. These individuals never planned to start a denomination, and yet their lives sparked a movement that swept the land of England and eventually made its way across the Atlantic into America. However, as my friend and his wife sat in the church that morning with several hundred other people, they noticed that only two of them, only the two of them and one other person had brought a Bible. Erosion was taking its toll. The denominations drift from its sturdy theological roots did not occur in two months or two years or even two decades. Instead, it was on a slow, silent, subtle slide. Given enough time, the denomination will hardly resemble or even remember its original convictions, unquote. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, the limping along, the fence straddling can take place. We find ourselves involved in matters that even five years ago and certainly ten years ago we would have never found ourselves being moved in that direction. Who was it that was doing the halting? Those who may have grown up in a home that honored Jehovah, but trinkets of Baal begin to pull at them when they got old enough to make their own decisions. It takes strength of mind and spirit to withstand temptation. Those who may have had all the trappings of a relationship with God publicly, but in their private lives there wasn't a commitment to prayer, to the Word, and to true spiritual fellowship. There were those who knew to do good, but didn't do it. They fell under the sway of 
worldly friends and worldly associations and were unable to shake free of them. So they ended up living lives that was in a position of constant compromise. How long? Halting between two opinions. We have need of great revival. I don't, I don't like to live in the past. But I'm telling you, I, I realize at my age that, that there's, there's some folks that think that somehow I'm losing it, I've lost my mind, and don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you today, I know what it takes to have revival. I'm telling you, I remember the days here that you almost had to drag people out of the prayer room to have church. I remember the days when men and women prayed so fervently. That it was as though a child was being birthed. I remember on one night, Brother Jordan had to do CPR in the prayer room because a man was praying so fervently and so hard, his partial came out and went down his throat. And we had to do CPR in the prayer room. And when we got the teeth out, he didn't run out. He went back to praying. What are you saying, preacher? I'm trying to tell somebody we can't totter any longer in the 21st century. We need to arise in this place. We can't limp any longer. We don't have time. There's drug addicts that are waiting to be saved. There's alcoholics that are waiting to be free. There's demon-possessed people in this city that need to be delivered. Come on. There's kingdoms of witchcraft and sorcery that need to be brought down. And only those of you that have power in Christ can do it. Just stand with me. I'm not done, but I'll finish. Every objection that they had against Elijah was utterly silenced. They couldn't respond in opposition because they knew he had heard the word of the Lord calling through them in the middle of their misdirected allegiance to Baal. That response ought to be the whole desire of all preachers. That their words would be so anointed, so arresting, so God-breathed, 
people are literally taken aback by holiness and the majesty and the greatness of God. But I also have to believe that God's not the only factor that's involved in this matter. A minister's personal holiness and private devotion to God will go a long way toward making men come under the power of the preach word. Over my life, I've been a few times when I was very much in the same condition as those who heard Elijah that day. I can remember a few sermons that were preached by men when they were finished, the whole congregation was in the mode of absolute but very reverent silence. There are others that have had the same response on me so that when they were finished preaching, you want to find somewhere to pray and to reason with the Lord about the condition of your soul. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible said, after Peter preached, there were others mocking. Paul reasoned with Felix, and he trembled. Paul preached to Festus, and he said, you're crazy, man. You've lost your mind. You're a madman. Paul preached to Agrippa, and Agrippa said, almost, almost, thou persuadest me. But I'm not ready to quit limping yet, Paul. Come back at a more convenient time. Hear me, church. There is no time for limping anymore. I gotta ask you, what is the condition of your soul? How long? How long? How long will you hold between two opinions? I pray for the mercy of God and I hope that someday through the portals of hell that you don't hear the words of a preacher on a Sunday morning that declared, How long? How long will you put it off? How long will you delay? How long will you halt between two opinions? These altars ought to be filled today. They ought to be full of sinner, saint, backslider, cold and indifferent. The doctor's calling you for a checkup today. Dr. Jesus is saying, come. I'm going to check your heart today. I want to make sure you've got a made up my mind. You've a made up mind. Come on. Don't halt. Don't halt. If you got to live down here, live down here, but you're going to leave whole. You're going to leave walking on both feet. You're going to leave full of the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's it. Come, church. Come, church. Come on, the Holy Ghost is dealing. 
The Holy Ghost is drawing. Don't wait. Don't sit back. I'm pleading with you.